So we always like to say that good content marketing comes at the intersection of what you love and what you want to talk about and what your clients actually need and want. Today, I'm honored to be joined on Bridging the Gap by a leader in the content marketing and coaching for a financial advisor space and a mom of twin girls under the ages of two. Bless her heart, Zoe Meggert. Zoe is the CEO of Perfectly Planned Content, LLC. This was such a fun and interesting conversation with Zoe. Advisors always want to learn how to grow, and marketing is one of those channels. And so in this conversation, we get into some great conversation about the importance of your content calendar and marketing funnel. We talk about challenges for advisors when trying to communicate their value within their content. And then we talk about the 80-20 rule when creating content and how quality over quantity is your answer when it comes to content. Zoe brings to light the meaning between the intersection of writing what you love and what you want to write about intersected with what your clients actually care about. That's so important. Do what you write about matter to what your clients really want to read? We have to think about that and us, we get into that with Zoe. So let's just get into the conversation on content marketing with Zoe Megger. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Zoe Megger. Thank you for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. How is everything? How are you? Your family, we were just talking about it. You have two two-year-olds, twins, right? We do. Yep. Yep. Twin girls, Charlotte and Piper. They turned two in June. So Charlotte and Piper. What's their birthday in June? Uh, June 28th. June 28th. All right. My son is June 5th. He turns three June 5th. Okay. So, awesome. Um, I, so I, I'm assuming, I mean, you've got nothing going on. Lots of time on your hands, oh, yeah. you know, everything. Abundant. <laughs> Abundance of time, right? It is, but it's fun, right? But you had twins, mm-hmm. so you just got two. So I have a, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And, okay. and that was different, but you just like hopped right into having two. So, I mean, you just yeah. got used to it right out the gate. There was nothing, you didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, my, my mom would always joke. She was like, I just don't understand. Like, how are you doing this? Cause she would visit. And I was like, I don't have another option. Like, it's just, right. They're both going to be crying, wanting food, whatever at once, especially now that they're both much more vocal about what they want and very demanding. About yeah. It. Yeah. They, they like to tell you, they like to tell you what they feel and what they want and they're not <laughs> shy to speak up. So, so that's, that's amazing. I love that. They're all in the Mickey mouse, like my son, you know, Mickey mouse clubhouse. So we were joking mm-hmm. about that a little bit before, but I'm the interesting. I mean, we could talk about Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse a while, oh, uh, like what, yeah. what season you're on and all that type <laughs> of stuff. But uh, I don't know if that's what people want to listen about. And I'm really stoked about this conversation. I'm really excited about it because your focus on content creation, content marketing, um, and it's specific to the financial advisor space. I'm curious how you even got into such a niche of financial advisors with content creation because, it, you know, from an insider in this space, I'd be like, stay away. I mean, you don't want to work with us type of people. But how did you find your way into financial advisors and helping with content creation? Oh, my gosh. Well, it was sort of an accident, honestly. So I graduated with a degree in creative writing and sort of stumbled around into some sales type of jobs that called themselves marketing jobs, but they weren't like they were cold calling type of jobs, which honestly mirrors an advisor experience a lot of times. Right. And so I did that for a little while. I didn't love it, even though I liked the team I was on. And so I ended up kind of migrating away and starting sort of a freelance business. And I'd always kind of been interested in business ownership, but assumed it would just be me kind of for forever. 
Um, I knew a couple people in the advisor space to begin with. So started working with them. And then of all of my clients, I worked with people in tech and a lot of like automation type of business stuff. So automated car technology, things like that. So very different than financial advice. Financial advisors were just my favorite people to work with. I was passionate about personal finance. I loved your guys' mission. And so I just really decided to niche down, kind of took my own advice a little bit and landed in advisor marketing, which I've been really enjoying since I think it's 2016 now. So almost seven years. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, and, and you're too kind to be saying that we're great people and that you love working with us. I mean, I, I don't know if everybody would say that, but that is that is such a niche and such a need. And I, I think you know, early on in the journey of helping create content for advisors, I mean, what did you learn, right? Working with those first few clients, I'm just interested to know, you know, what did you learn from them that was like, hey, these people need help and this is how I can help them? Like, what was some of those things that you saw? Because I'm sure that some advisors still have those tendencies today and can learn from that. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest things were first, just like the tech learning curve of compliance and just the technical getting it done step, right? I think it still intimidates a lot of new advisors. So they'll steer away from content because they're like, well, I don't want to do anything that could get me a wrist slap or anything like that. And so they don't ever learn how to write or to create content in a compliant sort of way, right? So that was one of the first things I learned. And for anyone who's outside of the industry, that's a very confusing like, learning curve to jump in on. It's something we have to train all of our writers on when we bring somebody onto the team. Uh, the other big thing that I kind of figured out early on was advisors are in general just a humble group, right? They're in this to serve others. They're not in it for like their own ego or what they want to do or make themselves feel bigger. So creating content can be kind of a challenge for them because they don't want to toot their own horn. So they sort of want to steer away from ever sounding like, oh gosh, I'm being too egotistical right now, or I'm thinking too much of myself or whatever. And so they just won't do it. They won't self-promote. Even like social media is a big sort of hot button topic here. A lot of advisors, when I first got started, wouldn't even think about Facebook, weren't going to look at advertising, didn't want to, if they wrote a blog, they just wanted to live on their site kind of silently. <laughs> like they didn't want any self-promotion because it felt awkward. And so I kind of wanted to encourage and empower advisors to say, hey, you are making a difference. That's not tooting your own horn. That's just being factual. So let's talk about it and do it in a way that's attractive to prospects and won't put them off as being too self-promotional. You know, that's such an interesting thing because I, I, we've we've grown as an industry. I mean, I've been in the industry now 15 plus years and mm -hmm. you know, just in my time, it's, it's grown drastically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're now in a time where advisors have to share their value. It, clients are asking, what is your value? It can't just be performance anymore. You have to be able to communicate your value to your clients. And that does mean that you have to self-promote. Now, the challenge, I think you mentioned two things there that are, are really powerful, right? That we don't want to self-promote. That's always been the trend. It's always been like the kind of the soft sell. You didn't want to be too salesy. And if you started to promote, you'd be coming off like a, and nothing, nothing against them, but you'd be coming off like an insurance sales guy or gal. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of regulation, right? Because you didn't want to self-promote in a way that got you slapped on the wrist by regulation. So it was like, ah, we'll just mm -hmm. stay away. And so my question to you is like, how have you helped advisors overcome that? How have you helped them see the other side and be able to communicate their value, whether it be stories, etc., to kind of promote them in a regulated way. Yeah, well, I think you just use the keyword for us, which is stories, right? We're really big into story brand marketing. Everything we do is story based and has story at the foundation. So everything from in those early days, I was doing a lot of blog writing, 
Um, but I was also doing a lot of like website copy, which we still do today through perfectly planned content. And what we really start with is what's your story as an advisor or as a firm? How can we illustrate that and really showcase to people your why, your values, why you got into this, because that's really what's going to draw people in. People don't buy a company. They buy into the advisors who work there, right? They want the relationship, Mm. especially with financial advice, because it's so trust-based. Like people aren't going to work with just anybody. (laughs) They need to be able to understand who you are and really trust you. Uh, So we start there. But the same is true for like blog content, video scripts, anything that we're helping clients with, even social media promotion, stories are foundational. And that's one way you can get people talking about themselves or about a client case study. And it sort of almost circumvents like the self-promotional aspect because you're not saying, I'm so great. You're saying, gosh, I remember this one time I was talking to a client and I got to tell her she could retire and I could see her face light up. And that for me was like, yes, this is why I'm doing this. And anytime you can get an advisor talking about those things, it's almost like a light bulb goes on, right? Where they're like, right, if I can communicate this as my why, that's my value. They're the same thing, right? So there's not like a, I need to figure out what differentiates me. Just if you're true to yourself and really authentic in your marketing and focus on those stories, I tend to find it comes out naturally. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? I, I love your point about buy the per- that people buy the person, not the company. And I think that that's something that mm-hmm. we learned in, in our organization early on. Which we had major success in one of our firms, and it was because we had you know a, an individual person that, that people were able to relate to and understand. Mm-hmm. And when we started another firm, we actually positioned it more as the company as opposed to the person. And we found the difficulty there, right? There's like a, yep. a, a stark difference that you have of, of promoting a brand, trying to build a brand without a person is tough. It usually brands usually start with a person. I mean, Apple started with Steve Jobs and Microsoft started with Bill Gates. And then you can promote the brand, but you have to have the person first that people trust to build the brand. You can't, it's hard to build a brand from scratch and especially in this industry. And, you know, I think that the, the other thing that's super interesting to me is that advisors love to talk. I mean, we are extremely talkative, right? We could talk to a brick wall for hours, but we don't have an ability to write content. And I think that, you know, how do you help get people out, like get those stories out? I mean, you just listen to them. And I mean, if they don't have someone like you, Zoe, how can advisors do a better job of getting their thoughts and everything they say in the content that's valuable? Yeah. So when we work with advisors, we do a couple different things. Obviously, we have that sort of listening time, but we also encourage them to like record Loom videos of themselves talking about a client case study, whether, hey, you, know, you just left a meeting and you felt really good about it, or a client had a good piece of feedback for you. Go ahead, sit down, record a quick voice note on your phone. Just again, you said advisors like to talk, that's they like to talk to their clients. Record a client meeting so you can go back and listen to it later. A lot of times in the virtual world we live in, that's already done for people through Zoom or whatever else, right? So just Go back through, listen to some meeting notes and kind of see where stories come out naturally. And that's one thing we recommend. And when we do that with advisors, obviously, we have like some systems in place to get that going. But we also work with a lot of advisors who really desperately want to do content themselves. They want to create by themselves. They're just not sure how to get started. And this is kind of where the concept of like building out your marketing funnel and a content calendar comes into play, right? So if you go back and look through what stories did I hear over the past week in my client meetings? What questions were people asking me? That's the foundation of your content calendar, right? Because if you're having a client who you love to see on your calendar, every time this person pops up, you're jazzed to meet with them. What questions are they asking you in the meeting? 
and then take those, answer them on a podcast or in a blog post, and you're automatically creating content that's searchable, right? Because it's question-based and people who you know you like to work with were already asking those questions. So similar ideal client types will just be drawn to that content as well. So I don't know if that answers yeah, your question. And, Sorry, I got so, no, that I love that because that's going to lead me into two different questions I have. But and the first one mm-hmm. is, is a simpler one is, you know, like I, I think that generating content can be so overwhelming for people, right? Because they don't even know mm-hmm. where to start. They, they don't even know where to mm-hmm. start. And you're, you're helping them just start, right? Just, just tell the stories that you're already experiencing mm-hmm. and just do something. But then the next question is, is like, how much is it, how much content do I need to produce to be effective? And, you know, what type of content? Is it audio? Is it video? Is it written? What is the best form? So I'm curious, like, how much is too much content? Like, is there a magic number like that you can give a rule of thumb? And what's what do you find as being the most effective forms of content uh, to be delivered, especially inside of this industry? Sure. No, and this is tricky, right? Because I feel like there's not like a right answer here. It really depends on the advisor and it depends on your client. So we always like to say that good content marketing comes at the intersection of what you love and what you want to talk about and what your clients actually need and want, right? So for example, let's say you're an advisor who really loves to write, like you're really passionate about that, but getting started is sort of a hang up. You might be able to get away with one to two long form blogs that are you know, somewhere between the thousand and 2000 word marker, really in depth on one topic, like per month, right? So it might not even be that big of a time commitment, or maybe it is a big time commitment, but it's not like a multiple topic commitment. So you don't have to create content in multiple different ways, right? Then you could split that blog up into video scripts, uh, social media posts, things like that. So always focusing on repurposing the one thing that you create. Alternatively, maybe you really prefer something like podcasting, in which case podcasting is a volume game, right? So if you have a listener base, they're not going to want to just tune in once a month. Like that's not as exciting for them. They want something that drops into their Apple podcast app once a week so that when they're at the gym, they can tune in, right? So you just need to understand what type of content you want to create first. So what you're passionate about and then what your clients will look for. So for example, if you work with retirees, you might find that videos do well, but maybe they need to be delivered direct to their inbox. They're not going to come find you on YouTube or something like that, right? Or maybe you need to go on Facebook Live and really invite your clients there. Alternatively, maybe it's that, you know, you work with really busy young families who podcasting or some sort of like captioned video that they can listen to on mute when they're around their kids, when they're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. (laughs) Maybe that's a better option, right? (laughs) Um, And there's a thousand different ways that you can kind of figure that out. But I do think like from obviously an SEO perspective, having high quality content is actually better than having a lot of content in bulk that's like kind of meh or so-so. So as long as you have content that is SEO optimized, keyword optimized, all of that good stuff, again, that sort of first case we talked about, like the one longer blog post about social security benefits for spouses or something like that, that might actually work really well from like an SEO perspective and for your audience just depends on what you want to want to achieve. Yeah. That's such a, you know, as, as you were talking, right. I, I, I see visually, you know, some of these topics that you're talking about, right. You say, what is it mm-hmm. that you love that you want to talk about? And then what is it that the clients are asking? Right. And I see it as like mm-hmm. a Venn diagram and in the middle is what you write about, right? Like that's exactly. what you write about. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then this other thing about like quality over quantity, like we're numbers people in this business. And to my, in, me, in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, it's a simple equation. 
if you only have one quality piece for every hundred pieces you put out, you're you're at one percent. But if you only put one piece out and it's very quality, you're hitting a hundred percent, and that's more mm-hmm. effective than the alternative. And so if we can think of it that way. And, but it's also just like a game that you just have to start with, right? You just have to keep yeah. going in terms of your strategy. You just have to get started. And early on, that equation is going to be really a low percentage, right? You're going to put out a lot of content that's not going to work, but you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, uh, you mentioned in an article recently, the five ways to elevate your content marketing strategy. With that in mind, right, just to get started and to kind of get that ratio in line and to find that intersection of the Venn diagram, what what's the content marketing? I mean, what are some strategies to elevate a content marketing strategy? Yeah, so we always like to say you should be following like the 20% rule, right? So creating content should only actually take 20% of your marketing time. And whether that's, you know, you're delegating it because it takes you way too long, or let's say in a given month, you have two hours a week for marketing. You only want to use a small chunk of that actually creating, and you want to use the rest of that time to promote. So ideally what you're doing is you're, let's say, again, you've got, you know, the two hours a week or whatever, if you know, okay, video is going to be more a better fit for me, or I have time to sit down and write a blog post once a month, I can knock it out. Great. Think of other ways that then you can repurpose that content to get the most bang for your buck or the most bang for your time, right? Because time is such a valuable asset for business owners or even for partners in a firm or like junior advisors who are doing this stuff. You don't want to spend all of this time creating fantastic content that no one's going to see, right? It's mm-hmm. We always say like, you don't follow the if you build it, they will come strategy when it comes to content marketing. You've got to get it out into the world. So if you have that time to, we'll use blogs as an example because they're kind of our bread and butter, to write out a blog post, then think of ways that you can turn that around and repurpose it to elevate your strategy. And this sort of is bigger picture thinking about like putting together a funnel, right? So we always say if blog posts are really the top of your funnel, that's like your awareness factor. People are getting to know you, they're getting to see your expertise, all of that good stuff. Think of how you can use that content to fill out the rest of your funnel and ultimately get to a conversion because that's the goal. The goal is not just to get eyeballs on your blog post. That makes you feel good, but those numbers don't equate to revenue, right? So what Mm -hmm. you want is to make sure your content is turning around into a conversion to pull people down to the bottom of the funnel for you. So for example, if you've got one blog post, you could potentially repurpose that to Canva graphics for social media posts. People can do that themselves or if you're not really creatively like inclined someone on fiber can do that for you you could also do things like turning it around to a video script so you can use your blog post to record like little video snippets about that topic embed them in your post for a multimedia post use them on social media again send them out to clients right it's just like another client touch point and scaling your practice so you really have only spent x amount of time building this really long form piece of content the rest of your month then is used trying to elevate that one piece to make it really worth your while if that makes sense that that makes a ton of sense and i i laugh because when you mentioned that like uh if we build it they will come i always think about when when anybody launches like a website or a new business they like hey i launched the mm-hmm. website today and they just like sit there waiting for the phone to ring and it's like that's not gonna happen mm-hmm. right that's yep. just the you know that's the, uh, it's out there on the interwebs they'll find me mm-hmm. they'll come to me they're gonna come it's mm-hmm. not field of dreams it's not field of dreams here mm-hmm. on that side but you know the other thing is is that you're, you're talking about a rule that us as advisors know really well. That's the 80-20 rule, right? I mean, you're saying mm-hmm. spend 20% of your time creating, the other 80%, you know, promoting and optimizing, right? Taking that content that you did to create. And so like in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, well, if I lay out my month and I can say I can dedicate two hours a month, you know, to mm-hmm. to marketing, well, that's 120 minutes. That's, you know, that's like 30 minutes I can spend 
creating. So what can I create in 30 minutes? And then the other hour and a half mm -hmm. throughout that month, I'm going to be optimizing, making Canva imagery, you know, recording a podcast, recording a video, and then promoting it in uh, email and on social, et cetera. But that's where I'm spending my other half. And I love that mentality, right? Like if you can help people think through it that way, that, that, I can take bite-sized chunks and I can increase that over time. But now I know what my allotment is. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, and we really believe too. And like when you're creating content, I think advisors get stuck because ultimately they like numbers, right? Like they like the client relationships and they like developing these strategic plans and content feels super nebulous. It's like very soft and kind of fluffy, right? They're like, I don't even know where to start. I feel uncomfortable here. This is not my zone of expertise. I'm just not going to do it. Like I'm not that creative. I hear this all the time or I just don't like writing. This is something else we hear a lot, right? And the truth is like, you don't have to be that good when you first get started. If you're not embarrassed of the first few things you put out there, you're not doing it right. And you've waited too long. <laughs> if That's the case, right? Um, and then the other sort of thing to think about here is if you really are uncomfortable with that sort of more creative, we're just going to let the juices flow and start writing, make it a science, right? Build out a process for yourself. If you know you have to write a blog in 60 minutes on a Monday, you know, eat the biggest toad first, get it done in the morning. And just decide, okay, I'm going to have a list of topics that I can always refer back to. I'll keep a running note in my phone. I will record client meetings so I can go back and grab case studies. Or I'm going to record a quick Loom video when I think of something so that I can go back and reference that later. Have a system for how you format things and your website. Just make it as easy for yourself as humanly possible to rip the Band-Aid off and get going. And that way you're not second-guessing yourself once you get started. You're not just staring at a blank screen. Yeah. And I think, you know, if anybody's embarrassed about their first pieces of content that they've ever written, just go over to my website and go like to the earliest content that I ever wrote or go to my YouTube channel and check out some of my early videos. Hey, we've all been there, right? Even my early podcast, check out my early podcast. I remember some of the content that we created early on. You know, we created this series, this video series called more than a hat rack. And we wanted it to be like a me and another colleague we wanted it to be like Sports Center, where you had a ticker of topics, and we were, you know, we were sitting there. It was probably the worst content that I've ever created, but you had to try, it and it allowed us to learn like what we could do and what we didn't want to do. And you just got to get yourself out there, just like we encourage our clients that you know what you may feel embarrassed or intimidated to come talk to a financial advisor, but we encourage you to because we know what's on the other side. And this is, you know, Zoe's doing it, but I'm also encouraging advisors. It's, it's there is a the grass is green on the other side once you get past mm -hmm. the embarrassing aspect of just doing and just getting going on that that 100%. side of it. We feel the same way. We leave all of our really old blog posts up for this reason. People can go back and look at what I wrote in 2016. Is it good? Not really. Does it still rank because people still have those questions? Yes. And the beautiful thing about content is once it lives, it doesn't have to live that way for forever. Like with written content, I can go back and update old posts that are still ranking I can add new calls to action. You can improve on what you've got going, right? It's not like a, I'm going to put this out there and then everyone's going to see how horrible I am. <laughs> like you shouldn't yeah. think that way. Exactly. As long as you do the right thing, right? Like just stick true mm -hmm. to that that rule of thumb. Just do the right thing. You're going to, you know, and, and you know what the right thing is, then you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to dig into something or dive into something that you mentioned. I think it was in your bio or your website, maybe both about, about uh, niches. And like we all talk about niches. This is a big trend in wealth management is like find your niche, especially as, as there's becoming larger and larger RAs, like to stay competitive in your smaller RA, you got to have a niche, whether it's like I work with dentists or I work with veterinarians, whatever it may be. But you talk about psychographic niches. And 
and the importance of this. I'd love to dive into that. What do you mean by psychographic niches and how can an advisor use this to their benefit, especially on the marketing side and content side? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, first of all, demographic niches are not bad, right? So if you say I work with physicians or I work with retirees in Atlanta, great, that's fantastic. But what we typically find is when we get people who have some resistance to that, right? When they're like, well, my clients kind of span from 30 to 60, which by the way, is a colossal age range to cover with different life issues going on there. And I you know, work with people close to me, but sometimes they're virtual. I don't want people to go away from my site because they feel like I'm not a good fit. I just want to work with people I like, right? The truth is that is also a niche. So we recently had someone come to us who said the same thing, right? Sometimes I work with people in tech, but sometimes not. It doesn't really matter, right? But in general, I guess if I had to pick a niche, it's people in tech. And I was like, well, hold on, what is one common thread through all of the people who, like we had said before, who you're excited to see on your calendar, what is the thread between them? And he was like, well, I guess like if I'm going to sign someone new on, they have to pass the beer test, right? I have to be able to sit down and talk with them about their financial plan over a beer and have it not feel tense at the local pub that I love. And if the answer is no to that, or like that's not going to be a good fit, or we can't be that relaxed with each other, I don't want to work with them. And I was like, well, gosh, that right there is a niche, right? <laughs> like, basically, you've defined that you need someone who has a good personality vibe fit. And that's what we're looking for. And that's how we want to market and use that sort of tone that will attract that person. So this could be any number of things, right? We hear a lot of people say, I want to work with salt of the earth folks, or the millionaire next door, or I want to work with uh, retirees, but they really have to be focused on leaving a legacy or taking care of their kids and grandkids, because that's something I like to do in like my planning. So think about those things. It doesn't always have to be physicians, people in tech. I work with athletes. It could be those. But even within that group, that's pretty broad. Like if you say you work with dentists, how many dentists are there? Like in the United States, just in my local area, I can think of 30 off the top (laughs) of my head. So like, are you going to just target them broad based or do you want to work with specific types of people? You can kind of set the tone there and decide who you want to be populating your calendar and then reverse engineer a marketing and content strategy that attracts that group. I, I think that that's incredible. I think that, you know, you don't have to fit into a box that the industry says you have to fit into now, right? Uh, you have to work with the millionaire next door. It has to be this demographic. You know, the the passing the beer test is a great niche. That's a great niche. You know, no, you know, you're going to talk about content of things that you would talk about over beers with people. Now you've got your content strategy and people will be attracted to that. Yep. And, you know, we talked about uh, a little bit about blog posts and how they're the top of the funnel. I'd love for you, you know, you've written a lot of blog posts on the funnel. Let's dive into that. How is the funnel laid out? And what does that sure. mean to what content works best to move people through the funnel? Because I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Be- and, and the mm-hmm. reason I say that is I, I think that advisors have a tough time of putting an ROI on content marketing, which I want to mm-hmm. get to after we talk about the funnel. But I think the funnel leads us into that question. Sure. And so what we kind of say is don't overcomplicate it. You can make a funnel as complicated or as simple as you want if you're just getting started or you've never looked at this before or you feel like your marketing is out of control and you've got 10 different things going on. Just create a funnel based on like a couple simple steps. And I kind of wrote them out here because it's what we talk about with clients all the time. So top of the funnel should be awareness, right? All you're doing is getting people to know you. They're checking to see if they're a fit. Ideally, if they're not a fit, they're going to self-select out, right? So that's sort of the top of the funnel. You just want, that's a volume game, right? So like that's eyeballs on your blog posts or views on your videos. Like you just want as many people as you can get up there. Then as they go down into the funnel, they will start self-selecting out and saying, okay, 
I'm not ready to take the next step or what have you. So then you're not talking to people who aren't ideal for you, which is perfect, right? So top is awareness. The next level should be nurture. So at this point, they've given you some kind of a commitment, but they're probably not on your calendar yet. So a lot of times we'll see this as they followed you on social media. They've subscribed to a podcast. Um, More often than not, they've signed up for something on your website, right? They've given you the internet currency, which is their email address and said, great, go ahead and send me that retirement ebook, (laughs) right? So that's sort of the nurture section. A lot of stuff can happen in this section too. So it could still include blog posts that you're emailing them to direct to their inbox. It could include some sort of video course, a free PDF ebook, you know, something like that. Next level down will be commitment. So at this point, like, yes, you know, they have signed up or something, given you an email, but that doesn't mean that they're actually like a true lead yet. So at this point, they're usually on your calendar. I usually put like Calendly or schedule once as part of your marketing funnel in this section. At the very bottom, it's the sale. So that's when they finally convert to be a client or they've given you the verbal yes or signed on the dotted line, however you want to determine that. And some people only take it down as far as like, okay, they're on my calendar and then everything else after that will convert to me. That's a different set of metrics kind of depends on what you want to track there. But that's a very simplified version of the funnel. I think that that's so it's so necessary, right? Because then you can start seeing how your conversions are going throughout the funnel, right? How am I converting from awareness to to nurture to commitment to sale? And where what's sticking? Mm -hmm. And then you can also even blend that down and start seeing like what content's working best, right? You can start creating multiple funnels for each piece of content if you do it the right yep. way with landing pages and click rates and Google likes. And mm-hmm. that starts to get into you know some heavy stuff. You don't have to get there to start doing content marketing. It's just a way of, oh, of, sure. of helping to share your ROI. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and that's kind of what we say, like you totally have the nail on the head, right? So if you've got a funnel going, figuring out how you want to patch the holes in the funnel at each step, like where are people falling off who are ideal? So do you have a ton of website visitors, a ton of views on your blogs, but no one's signing up for that free ebook? Is the call to action right? Do you have it listed in visible places on your site? There's a bunch of different questions you can ask as to, well, why is that the case, right? Like, why am I not getting any signups? Or are people, and we see this one a lot, are people signing up for the ebook, but then I'm not getting them to commit to like sign up for a meeting after that. I've got hundreds of subscribers on my email list for this really cool video course I made, but no one wants to be a client. Well, why? Is the messaging wrong? Are you giving away too much? Are you defining your value? Are you nurturing them? There's a bunch of different, like I said, questions you can ask as they pull down the funnel to really shore it up and make sure that each piece of content or topic you're doing is, you know, perfect, basically, right? Yeah. And and so when it gets to, you know, when you start looking at the ROI, right, that I think that this is a big question that every advisor has, like, I'm investing all this money in content, how do I know it's paying off, right? And it's so hard unless you, like, and if it's just someone that's just trying to do it just themselves and you don't have a funnel and you're not like using Google Analytics and you're not looking at all that, it's hard to see it all. So how can someone understand the ROI of content marketing? You know, it, it, because it's not one-to-one necessarily. They may not have seen that. They may have read that blog post and not taken action, mm-hmm. but then they saw this video and took an action. And so mm-hmm. the attribution is really difficult inside of marketing. How do you help advisors understand this? Absolutely. So first of all, we always say like, if you're doing content marketing, you need to be tracking analytics, whether it's on your own or you're having someone else do that for you or what have you. We have like analytics dashboards that we create for clients that pull things like Google analytics, engagement rates for social media, open and click rates for email marketing. So you can see kind of the whole picture and figure out, are the numbers going up or are they going down? Like the questions don't have to be crazy. You just need to see like, are we improving over time? And then the other big thing we say is 
look, no advisor can serve every single investor in the country, right? So set your goals and reverse engineer your marketing goals based on how many clients you want to serve. How many clients do you want to sign in a month? How many can you onboard in a month without losing your mind, right? Set reasonable goals for yourself there, like on the sales side or how many you want to convert at the bottom of the funnel and then back your way into, okay, then the content at my top of the funnel needs to have X number of eyeballs in it because I know on average, this percentage of people will convert to my email list. From that, this many people will sign on as clients, right? You can kind of look at your numbers from the past, even if it's just a gut check. If you're like, okay, on average, I'm converting 40% of people at webinars I give or at the library presentation I go to. Fantastic. How many presentations do you need to do, right? That's pretty easy math, especially for an advisor who can kind of put two and two together. I think where it kind of comes or becomes stressful is content does feel so soft, right? It's like, okay, well, if we have multiple kinds of content, how do I even know what's working? What do I pay for? And that then for me is like, well, what's taking you the most time, but you know is working. So a lot Mm. of advisors come to us and say, people love my blog, clients love my blog, they're forwarding it on to people. I just don't have time to do it anymore, right? So get that stuff off your plate first that you know is working. It could be social media or podcast editing, right? It could be any of those things. Take care of those things first from the budget because you already know it's going to have like a ROI. Yeah, I think that's incredible. It's just, you know, it's always a matter of, you know, you, 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 you walk the talk you do it, you see what works, and then you start delegating it off. And then you go find something else. And then you delegate it off. And then you delegate it off. And it's the same thing with marketing. I, and you know, I, I just go back to that 80-20 rule. I think it's such a great rule of thumb just to get started. Just do an hour a month. Do a 20-minute mm-hmm. short 700-word post and then turn mm-hmm. it into something else. And then just promote it on LinkedIn and Facebook mm-hmm. and your blog. And just just yep. do that for a consistent period of time. And, see, and then send out an email to your clients and say, hey, forward this on to your friends. Just do something simple just to get started and then let it yep. let it blossom from there. Yep. And exactly like we talked about earlier, make it a science, right? Have a workflow. Just I've written this blog post and now I'm going to post it to LinkedIn every week for the next month or, you know, every other week or whatever. I'm going to boost it on Facebook, whatever, you know, your to-do list is, send it to clients, send it to colleagues, have that kind of set up. And then as you go, you can also start identifying well, this is what I'm not enjoying, or this is what's taking the most time. So I'm going to go ahead and get rid of those tasks or delegate them to a provider or to my EA or whoever that person is. And then we can go from there. Gosh, I love this so much. I think that this is such a powerful conversation with so many takeaways. I mean, it's a gold. I mean, it is just marketing gold. If you're just struggling with marketing, Zoe, you've provided so much value. I mean, I, I, I could stay here for hours and dig into all the different types of marketing channels. Um, but I'm going to leave it at that. This is going to be your introductory. And then I, I'd love to bring you back and maybe dig into each of the channels, like what works on Facebook, yeah. what works on YouTube. And we can go into that. But I think that this is this is lots of action items. And I always like to wrap it up with two questions, two common questions. And and the first one being, I always like, I'm, you know, I believe that you got to be a constant learner, right? You got to always mm-hmm. be learning and you learn through reading. And, and you know, I always think that the quote that all all readers aren't leaders, but all leaders are readers, right? And and I, I love to read. So I always ask my guests, what's one of those books that you're like, everybody should read? Oh my gosh, this is a tough one. So because I read so many different types of books, I'm, you know, English major nerd, right? So I'm reading pretty much all the time. Lately, I've been reading a lot of fiction, but I will say like, as far as business books go, 
there's a couple really good marketing books that I love. So The E-Myth, if you haven't read it, is always fantastic. And then anything by Seth Godin, like I think is gold. Also Story Brand Marketing uh, by Donald Miller. I really like that as well. I love that. Seth Godin, one of the best. E-Myth Revisited is one of the best books out there around. And then Storyboard Marketing is what you said. That's another one? Uh, is that story right? Brand. So I'll have to look story up that exact brand. title, but it's just his whole concept is Donald Miller um, has built sort of the story brand marketing course and concept. And like our uh, director of content is certified as a story brand marketer. It's We just really believe in that sort of type of marketing. I love that. I love that. We'll put all the links to these books in the in the notes. And then the last item question I ask, I always do is, and it comes from you know something I saw at a Barron's conference, and I loved it. Is just what's one actionable item from this conversation that people can take away and, and go and implement very easily to make it either a habit or to change their business for the future? Yeah, I would say if you aren't already just keeping a running note of content ideas, start. Even if you're not even sure that you're ready for content marketing or you don't want to write or you don't know if you want a podcast or a blog or whatever, just open a note on your phone or keep it in your planner or whatever and just start writing out those content ideas as they come to you, whether it's client questions and meetings or I get them a lot like when I first wake up in the morning and have a coffee and I'm like, I should write about this. And sometimes my notes don't make sense. I just told our director of content strategy the other day, I have a note to myself that says running and writing question mark. <laughs> it wasn't logical, but I kept it because I didn't know it could have been something later. So you just never know when you're going to use those sort of topics. So that's, I think the number one piece of advice I would have is start somewhere and start by just keeping a running list of ideas. I love that. I love that. It's been a real pleasure having you on and I, I just appreciate you taking time. And I think that, you know, I took a ton away from this and I, I'm, I'm sure that our listeners did as well. Uh, and they want to continue to follow you. So how can they continue to follow you? How can they get in touch with you? How can they continue to, you know, believe and, and follow your, your themes that you're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm definitely most active on LinkedIn as far as social media. I just mom of twin toddlers, right? I had to pick a platform and just stay there. So that's usually where we're hanging out. Um, we also have a YouTube video series that our director of content strategy does. Uh, she's fantastic. And then, of course, you can always find us on our website, perfectlyplannedcontent.com. We've got a blog, videos, free resource library, all of that good stuff. That is awesome. Zoe Megger, you're the best. You're, you're great. And uh, God bless you for working with us on content marketing in this industry. We need more people like you. Uh, so please come back and join us here on Bridging the Gap. And, you know, Happy early birthday to your twins and uh, best Thank luck you, with Mickey yeah. Mouse Clubhouse, all right? <laughs> Thanks. Same to you. <laughs> all right. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 